That is the scuttlebutt. You can't have the scuttle without the butt. That's right, Scuttlebutt Nation. You're listening to the Scarif Scuttlebutt Podcast. Tonight we have a, a really great topic. Join Roe, Shanti, and Brad as they discuss and dive deep on all the geek topics everyone is talking about. I almost got into a fight with someone on Twitter today because that never happens. Thoughtful breakdowns on movie favorites, streaming, geek pop culture. I'm pretty sure the next episode is going to be Max Rebo's backstory. And all the hidden gems every nerd loves. I do think it's a really cool idea. Download, listen, and subscribe to the Scarif Scuttlebutt Podcast. Oh, nice. A member of the Red 5 Network. This podcast is part of the Red 5 Network. For more Red 5 Network podcasts, visit red5network.com. What is up, Scuttlebutt Nation, and welcome to our little corner of the galaxy. I am your friendly neighborhood, Ro, and with me I have my trusted co-host, rogue space princess and delightful debutante, the one and only you know her as General Shinobi. Not to be confused with Greek yogurt, right? Right. How are you? Good. And I'm in a, in a robe, no less. Nice and comfortable. <laughs> very nice. Very nice. Yes, uh, we are recording June 9th, 2022. And last week we had one of our patrons, The Frank, uh, on the show to talk about Tron. Um, and I'm noticing a pattern here after tonight's show. What do you think? Going back to uh, going back to the Disney archives. So last, uh, last week we had Tron. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, this week, uh, another Disney classic, which, uh, when I first, uh, when I first saw the black hole, I was, uh, I was young, um, but it really fascinated me for many reasons and we'll definitely get into it. But I wanted to ask our, uh, our listening audience if, uh, if there's any preference for a part three, I'd like to work in trilogies here. So we got Tron, we got the black hole tonight. Uh, so if anybody has any ideas on what uh, the final uh, installment of our uh, Disney, uh, I guess, uh, exploration of early sci-fi, uh, we'd love to hear what you guys have to to, to offer, to uh, suggest. That would be really awesome. I know you gave a, a suggestion or two in the DMs, uh, so we'll uh, we'll add that to the mix. But I want to welcome our our, uh, our guest tonight, uh, Melanie, uh, a patron and friend of the podcast. Melanie, how are you tonight? I'm doing great. We're talking about this movie that I loved so much as a kid, and yes. I unironically love it. <laughs> <laughs> you unironically I, love it? Unironically love it. You know what? <laughs> I, I'll have to say that I unironically love it, too. Um, like I said, it was, Black Hole came out in 1979. Uh, two years uh, after Star Wars, I feel safe in saying that I, I unironically love it as well. There is an inexorable force in the cosmos where time and space converge. A place beyond man's vision, but not his reach. It is the most mysterious and awesome point in the universe. Whether here and now may be forever. Someone who just watched it for the first time a couple of months ago, and then rewatched it this afternoon, 
I will say I also ironically <laughs> love this movie. I really enjoyed it a lot more than I thought I was going to. Yeah, something mm-hmm. about it. Something about it. Um, let me get to the notes, but I wanted to ask you guys individually, for, I guess from from the scientific aspect of, of this premise, uh, black holes. Um, for me as a kid, I loved science. I loved, um, you know, my science classes in, in, in grammar school growing up in elementary school and high school. So it's uh, when you hear about the black hole and then the concept of, you know, nothing escaping the gravity of a black hole, not even light. It just, it boggles your mind. Um, so I wanted to ask you guys individually and I'll ask uh, Melanie first. Um, what did you think about that concept? And were you as fascinating, fascinated as I was? Yes. And I, and this is after the black hole, but the year after this was Cosmos. And uh, I was not unhappy to be assigned that as a homework assignment because I would have watched it anyway. <laughs> but I was I was so into it, uh, into science and uh, the solar system and visits to the planetarium. And so this was completely in my wheelhouse. Absolutely. Yeah. And in Chicago, we've got the Adler Planetarium, which uh, is a staple you know, for folks that like to uh, do little staycations here in, in town. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, the, the stars and planets and, and all that stuff is uh, was really fascinating for me. Shanti, what about you? So as a kid, I did not like science. Oh. And then as I got older, I started to appreciate it a little more. Only certain parts of it. Like I, I like chemistry because it's a lot of math and I love mm-hmm. math. So I probably should have done physics also, but I never dabbled in that. But my interest, I've actually never really had much interest in space. And I don't know if it's just because it scares me (laughs) about what's possibly out there. And (laughs) I was actually discussing this with my parents today while they were making fun of the movie (laughs) that I totally believe like the black hole is like a portal to to another universe. (laughs) And it is very interesting to think about. And of course, the movie's a little unrealistic because what would actually happen to you if you went through a black hole is not (laughs) what you see in the movie. Yeah, and we'll definitely talk about it. We have a couple of comments from some of our Twitter followers um, that we'll mention uh, towards the end. But uh, yeah, it's a you know fascinating concept. Uh, Disney, two years after Star Wars, uh, obviously this was a response to Star Wars. Everybody wanted to get on the Star Wars train. This was Disney's answer. I think it was actually developed or, or at least started uh, in talks back in 1974, even before Star Wars came out. But um you know, these projects tend to have uh, a, le- a life of their own. A lot of things affect their uh, their development. But, you know, Star Wars was a, you know, as we know, uh, a movie uh, at the time that uh, uplifted spirits and gave us hope. The black hole is kind of like the opposite, right? Totally bleak. <laughs> I was going to say, wrong response, Disney, to Star Wars. When you want your child to have an existentialist experience you would take them to the black hole. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Scare the shit out of them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Although my father, now see, by the time I saw the black hole, I had already seen 2001. Oh. Oh, okay. Because my dad was a huge movie buff, and he loved science fiction, and he loved adventure films, and he loved to make my sister and I think. So oh, good. we would have a conversation on the way to the movie, and we would have a conversation on the way back. So I was prepared for this particular existentialism because, you know, I'd seen the star baby. Right. 
and had the <laughs> conversation right. on the way home. And what do you think about that? What do you think that could mean? Wow. Yeah. So we're much to the chagrin gonna... of my mother, who said, "Do we have to learn every time we go somewhere?" <laughs> I, I think that's pretty good. I like that. I like yeah. your dad. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I thought I, it was cool. I never, I never, I it never awesome. bothered me. Totally, I think it's cool too. Um, I, yeah, it, especially movies like this. I mean, we're, we're, we're we'll talk about the um, end uh, later on, but it really makes you kind of scratch your head and really, you know, think. I don't like sci-fi that spoon feeds you information. I like, um, you know, some really great, uh, you know, thinking man sci-fi. Mm-hmm. I think it's one of the reasons that I, um, I unlike a lot of other people. I really enjoyed uh, movies like Prometheus. Mm-hmm. Um, for me, Prometheus was very interesting. And I know it has its roots in the whole, you know, ancient alien astronaut theory stories that uh, people uh, talk about uh, alien life forms seeding uh, Earth and, and other planets in the galaxy. But I find it fascinating. But uh, yeah, anyways, getting back to the black hole. Um, there's some similarities. We talked about Star Wars, and there's some similarities uh, to Star Wars. Um, obviously, you know, Star Wars up until the point had uh, a corner market on cute droids. So there's certain things that um, that Disney kind of wanted to, uh, I guess, borrow uh, from Star Wars. Um, you know, you had uh, even movies like uh, Battlestar Galactica during the time. You had, mm-hmm. um, you know, uh, what's Boxy's uh, Daggett? which was very cute for those of you who don't know, it was a monkey inside a suit, which was kind of uh, interesting as well. I think the director at the time um, looked at the script and passed on it and said, yeah, I I don't think so. But the producers insisted on him seeing some production paintings. Uh, Here's another similarity to star Wars, very similar to what George Lucas did with uh, the, um, the commissioning of all the artwork that, uh, that uh, Richard, I'm sorry, not, um, What's the uh, the previs guy for Star Wars? Oh man, I am drawing a blank tonight. Ralph McQuarrie. There you go. So Ralph McQuarrie did all these amazing paintings, uh, pre pre visualization of uh, of some of the scenes that George had thought up, and that's basically what sold the uh, the studios to uh, to put forth some some production money to kind of start developing the, the project which is kind of cool. They did the same thing here. Um, and, you know, I, I can't stress enough how important and how cool it is for the fans to see a lot of this uh, previs. Obviously, we know the work of Ralph McQuarrie. It is uh, everywhere in, in sci-fi, Star Wars, and uh, Battlestar Galactica. He did some paintings for them uh, as well. But, yeah, I mean, it's, it's exciting. It's really, really awesome. Identify yourself. What is your type and model? We're talking about how bleak this movie is. The poster byline uh, was very ominous. It said, uh, A journey that begins where everything ends. (laughs) Holy crap. What the hell? And you're going to take your kids to that? Yeah, my sister was eight. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God. Wow, mind blown for her, I'm sure. Oh my God. Does she still remember that experience? Yes. Yes. She's a huge. She's scarred. She's a, she's a Trekkie. Oh, yeah, she's a Trekkie. Yeah. So we were steeped in Star Trek by the time we'd seen this. And Star oh, okay. Wars, of course. So but Star Wars was my thing and Star Trek was her thing. 
Oh wow! That's a cool. house, yeah. a house divided. A house divided. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I was on man. the cooler side. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm kidding. I like Star Trek too, but Star Wars was my heart. So yeah. sure, sure, yeah. yeah. But yeah, I mean, it's one of those things. Uh, you know, you take a look at the the poster and 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 the, especially that byline. I mean, what kind of imagery do you think uh, a kid uh, can expect going in? Um, I think I remember the very first poster was obviously the back, the black hole and the swirling stars, but there was a there was a ship, the Cygnus, um, that we'll get into in a second, was um, in the foreground. So you see the uh, ship going to the black hole, uh, and, and then you know obviously the question is like what you know what happens next? What are we going to find? Oh wow, mm-hmm. very. Very interesting. Um, this movie had two very notable firsts from a movie historical uh, perspective. You guys want to guess what those things are? Anybody? I know it was the first PG Disney. Yeah, it was the first PG movie. That is Disney. correct. Mm-hmm. That is one. And any guesses on the second? No. <laughs> no. Well, it's, the, it's the fir- yeah. it's the first Disney film to feature CGI. Oh, yeah, and uh, you know we talked about uh, the cool. CGI and some of the work that went into Tron, right? Um, last week, and uh, you know Frank was telling us about how the uh, the animators at Disney were really 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 worried about uh, you know computer graphics taking over uh, the industry, and obviously. You know, it did, uh, but it just uh, it just bred a, a new breed of uh, of artists. Its original title was Space Station One, and it's the first time we ever hear the words "damn" and "hell" in a Disney movie. I actually read that they actually had to when whenever they would play it on Disney, they had to like remove them saying those words if they played it on the Disney Channel. Oh wow! Yep. Mm-hmm. Very interesting. Yeah, a lot of first. <laughs> Hi, I'm Leonard Maltin. When George Lucas's Star Wars came out in 1977, more than one observer remarked that this was the kind of film Walt Disney might have produced. Some people felt that the studio that bore his name had lost touch with the mainstream movie-going audience. As a result, the powers that be planned their most ambitious and expensive film, a sci-fi epic called The Black Hole. It had an unprecedented budget of $20 million dollars a PG rating, and a solid cast led by Oscar winner Maximilian Schell, Anthony Perkins, Robert Forster, Joseph Bottoms, Yvette Mimieux, and Ernest Borgnine. Let's dive into the cast a little bit because uh, this was actually a pretty good cast for the day. And there's some casting notes that I wanted to mention um, first. Uh, Prior to the actress that actually took the role, um, they wanted um, Sigourney Weaver to play the uh, female lead. Mm-hmm. And the producers are like, what? Uh, I don't know. With, with An actress with that kind of name, uh, is not. they didn't really like that, which was kind of weird. Um, and then they brought in Jennifer O'Neill. Um, Jennifer O'Neill had uh, long hair. And the producers wanted them to uh, wanted her to cut her hair, and she's like, mm, "No, I don't. I don't want to do it." They convinced her um, after several drinks in 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 her um, 
in her, uh, I guess, in her hotel room or whatever. So they would cut her hair a certain length, give her another cocktail, cut some more, give her another cocktail, cut some more. By the time they were finished, you know, her hair was pretty short. Um, and she was, I guess, at that point, okay with uh, with doing it that way. There was a lot of drinking happening uh, on that evening. And, uh, you know, mm-hmm. everybody said goodbye. Um, they left for the evening. And she actually got into a car accident. And um, mm-hmm. it made it uh, so that uh, she could not um, be in the role because she was in the hospital because oh, of this God. accident. Uh, so the next day they, uh, they hired Yvette uh, Mimiu. I think that's how you pronounce her name. And that is the uh, little backstory of uh, how you shouldn't get drunk. Oh, that poor woman. <laughs> I know. <laughs> she cut her hair and for And she no cut reason. her hair for that, yeah. <laughs> no. My God. It's not enough drinks. got some really big names here uh as far as casting goes but uh Mm -hmm. one of the biggest i think at the time was uh anthony perkins Mm -hmm. and uh where do we know that name from shanti psycho oh yeah what did you guys think of uh of the cast melanie what about you the cast is fantastic Mm -hmm. you have maximilian shell as the villain Dr. Reinhardt, I mean, he was best actor for Judgment at Nuremberg, which I had already also seen by this point. <laughs> Thanks to my dad. I was 12. <laughs> Dad's awesome. Yeah. I was 12. I had seen Judgment at Nuremberg, so I knew who he was. And uh, Anthony Perkins, of course, had already seen Psycho. Um, Robert Forster, I had seen Medium Cool, which he was in, which was really wonderful. But my favorite Robert Forster performance is in Jackie Brown, because that's my favorite Quentin Tarantino movie. Oh, yeah. And he's wonderful. It's Max Cherry. He's just fantastic. Um, Absolutely. Joseph Bottoms was also part of an acting dynasty. Um, His brother, Sam, is a very famous actor as well. Um, He was coming off more television roles, but he was was fairly well known. Um, Yvette Mimieux was in The Time Machine. Yes. Which she was really great in that. And Ernest Borgnine was, of course, uh, best actor as well for Marty. I'd already seen Marty as well. My dad made sure I saw everything. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. cool. That that definitely explains your love of classic movies there. Yes. Yeah. No, I love Which that. you get to see a lot on the Twitters. But Yes. I know. That's why I, I love your Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah but it's, it's but it really is. I mean, it's a very solid cast of actors. It is. And some really heavy hitters. I mean Yes. And they hired Maximilian Shell, who is Yes. Known for being highly temperamental and difficult to work with. Yeah, I wonder how they pulled that one. I off. mean, and it was kind of like you know they wanted him, and they're like, "Are you sure?" <laughs> <laughs> but he's perfect for this part because yeah, it, yeah. it's probably more than a little him. But you know, right? But it, he he fits in very well with that. He probably didn't have to do much acting. No, <laughs> he just showed up. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Let's talk a little bit. Let's talk a little bit about the plot. Um, so the ship returns from deep space. The um, the Palomino gets altered. Uh, checks out uh, something going on over by a black hole. 
but the mystery starts when they uh, they find uh, that big ship, the Cygnus, at the very edge of the black hole. And obviously, knowing what a black hole does, uh, the fact that the Cygnus is uh, not moving, uh, you know, close to the event horizon, uh, is kind of puzzling. Um, they go in and explore, um, and that's where the mystery begins. Um, what do you guys think of the uh, of the overall story? I think you know we we mentioned that it's kind of a little bit of a um, off the beaten path for a Disney film. And, uh, and I think I read somewhere that when it was, uh, titled space station one, that had elements of your traditional Disney film. You had a family like, uh, you know, Robinson family stuck on a space station, et cetera, et cetera. And that's when the director's like, I, I want all this crap out of here. Um, and then they kind of rehashed it. I'm glad they did. Uh, cause you know, like I said, uh, you know, black hole is, uh, is very unique for its time. Um, especially when it comes to that studio, uh, Disney, but, uh, what'd you guys think of the plot? I like the plot. Uh, mm-hmm. the whole, you know, going to check out what this space station is and this and this, it kind of is a callback to me, like to alien, you know, when they're trying to see like who, you know, what's on this abandoned ship as well and this and that. So, but I, I, I very much enjoyed the plot. It, it is a little cheesy. <laughs> it's a little cheesy. And I will say the plot even, is cheesy. Uh, the movie itself. Um, <laughs> even though I know that the actors are some heavy hitters, I actually think it's probably some of their worst acting, but that aside, I actually think the story is really fascinating and I can't imagine what that would be like to come across, first of all, an abandoned ship like that being so close to a black hole. Like I probably would have hightailed it right out of there and turned around. Whether you think your dad's on that ship or not, I'm sorry, I would have left. Increase power to maximum. We are going through. Just engaging with this crazy man and seeing all of these quote unquote, what they think are, you know, robots, robots walking right. around with these, uh, what you call it. My parents had a really good, uh, squid game masks. <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. That you know? fright, that scared me. That freaked it is. Me out it's a, very freaky. Listen, I'm always been the type of person that, and I've been saying this a lot recently with, uh, with reviewing Kenobi. I, I like the more stoic, silent type villains, So the ones that don't say much. So seeing figures like that, no faces, just this weird mirror-like mask is very imposing and very frightening. The same thing with Maximilian. I was actually more frightened of the robot Maximilian than I was Dr. Reinhardt himself, honestly. It was just such an imposing figure, just the red. So that's why I say I, I actually really did like this movie. While it is a little cheesy, I think the plot's fantastic. I would like to see this get remade, honestly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we're uh, somebody had mentioned that uh, we'll we'll talk about it in a minute. But Melanie, what did you think of the plot? What were your thoughts on it? Now, I agree with Shanti about the plot um, and what it put me in mind of these these sort of um, these drones that he has on his ship reminding me a lot of the inhabitants in Beneath the Planet of the Apes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, love that. But, I know I do one. too. Oh, I yeah. love all those Planet of the Apes. Me too. <laughs> the originals, yes. <laughs> yes. But that when I saw them, when I when I rewatched the movie, I thought, yeah, you know, they really remind me of that. And it's kind of and it is it's that it's that creep factor of, you know, they're just sort of there and they're not engaged or responsive in any way. They're just, you know, sort of drones going about their business. But I do I, I do think the plot is really well done. And I think if if 
and I agree if they if they tweak it a little bit and um, and do some things with the pacing a little bit, I think you know a remake would be really good. And I love that ending. I do mm-hmm. love that ending. There's so much to unpack there. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, Agreed. absolutely. I wanted to uh, point out another uh, Star Wars kind of uh, similarity here. The novelization of the book was uh, written by Alan Dean Foster, who also wrote the original sequel to Star Wars. Uh, anybody remember what that was called? Splinter of the Mind's Eye. Woohoo! <laughs> I still have mine. <laughs> so do I. First printing. Me too. <laughs> Yeah, a lot of cool stuff. Let's uh, let's talk a little bit about uh, one of the characters because um, you mentioned Dr. Reinhardt. Reinhardt is a murderer. What? Yes. Those creatures, those aren't robots. They're, they're humanoids. They're, they're what's left of the original crew. What's wrong, Miss Kate? You look ill. He's he's very friendly at first, but then all of a sudden, you know, once these, the mystery starts to unravel, um, you kind of get scared of him because you don't really know, like, what's going on in his head, um, especially as he relates to uh, he tries to manipulate, uh, um, you know, the characters in the movie and then how he relates to Maximilian, the uh, the, the devil droid. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, what do you guys think of Dr. Reinhardt as a character? He's, I mean, he's, he's scary from the jump. I mean, because you, there's just that he's got this undercurrent about him where he's being very, very formal and very friendly and very open, you know, he's welcoming and all this stuff, but you just have a feeling something's just not, he's off somehow. And you kind of get that from the start. However, you know that of this crew, you know, the one that's going to fall for it and totally want to be on board with whatever this guy says. (laughs) And yep. you know which one it's going to be because he always has to play that role. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> and I, I know even as a kid, I was like, oh yeah, he's, uh, you know, Durant's going to, he's going to go, he's going to go course. sideways. <laughs> I'll go know. with you. I'll go yeah, with you, mother. He's a genius. <laughs> it's like, oh geez. Okay. <laughs> he's all in. Alex, could I have a word with you? He squared. Over. A squared, sine squared, Do you remember what we were talking about the other day? We've got to get out of here. I'm staying. Shh. I actually think Maximilian Schell is actually the best actor in the movie, to tell you the truth. Yes. Mm-hmm. I actually think he does the best. I, I think it's it's the writing. I think some of the dialogue is a little um, a little cheesy, but he pulls it off very well. And like you said, from the get-go, you know he's not right. They said he's been on the ship for 20 years. I would probably go insane too. And his hair is all crazy. And he's got this. And honestly, beard. The, the movie's about him. Right. It is. Oh, you know? yeah. And he has the most fleshed out character. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. I agree 100%. And he is that typical scientist, even, you know, mm-hmm. just playing God. And those are the mm-hmm. ones that you always fear. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. You know, you mentioned, uh, Shanti, you mentioned earlier, you mentioned Alien. Mm-hmm. Um, there's another movie that... Uh, that I watched that I also really enjoyed was uh, a movie called event horizon. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of inspirational um, points uh, from the black hole that have gone into both alien and event horizon. If you haven't mm-hmm. uh, seen that one, uh, check it out. It's, it's a, uh, it's a nice cross between, you know, sci-fi and horror. Oh, perfect. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, I, th- I think you'll you'll really like it. I know it. it. I just have never seen it. I'll yeah. add it to the list. 
Absolutely. Uh, Sam Neill is in it. Mm-hmm. And I can't remember who else, but it's, um, yeah. You, you, got you me should there. watch it. That's you it. should watch it's it. That's it, Neil. That's all you need, really. <laughs> That's it. That's yeah. all I needed. <laughs> we have to go. No. No, I can't make it. My hover stabilization's gone. My main circuit's blown. And both backups are failing. You can make it. It's no use, Vincent. My useful days are finished. But part of me goes with you. You'll never be obsolete. Carry on the tradition. We're the best. So let's talk about robots. Uh, we can't uh, talk sci-fi without robots. Uh, I said earlier, Star Wars seems to have inspired this genre of introducing cute robots to cinema. Uh, this movie obviously has its share of cute robots. I love, love, love Vincent. And mm-hmm. I love him even more because he's voiced by the wonderful Roddy McDowell. We talked about the Planet of the Apes. Yeah. Uh but uh, absolutely fascinating uh, character and talk about um, fleshed out characters. I mean, I, you know, obviously star Wars has R2D2 and people love him, but Vincent really is such a great character in this movie. I agree. And, you know, kind of the comic relief too. Cause I just, he's again, he's sassy. I, lo- I love me a sassy. <laughs> I love me a sassy droid and a sassy what? robot. Well, I had in my notes when I, when I watched this again this week, I wrote that he was, if R2-D2 spoke English, yes, this would be him. <laughs> I think so, yeah. It's amazing to Mac me that he's talking. not credited. The same with Slim Pickens playing the mm-hmm. other one, Bob. I'm, I'm really right. surprised neither one of them was credited. I wonder why. My dad kept calling them trash cans. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, even R2 is uh, kind of an upside-down trash can. You can totally yeah. tell, but yeah. <laughs> and a lot of similarities there when um, – when they encounter the, uh, I, when I was younger, I used to call them the black stormtroopers. <laughs> right. You know, that's awesome. Yeah, but, um, absolutely. And I want to commend Disney on this. We have, uh, this story that is, uh, you know, you talked about being cheesy and sometimes, uh, they play it safe with a sci-fi story, but it is kind of scary. We'll talk about the end in a minute, but um, do you guys feel that this is a movie that has been forgotten by pop culture? Yeah, I mean, I didn't Mm -hmm. even know this movie existed until you brought it up. What? I didn't. As much as I love Disney, this is one of those ones that I had never heard of. I had never seen it, obviously, since I just watched it a couple of months ago. I had no idea. No, nothing about not, I knew nothing about this movie. None whatsoever. Wow. G-T-F-O-H. Mm-hmm. I know. I know. <laughs> so, but you know what? I'm being dead serious. Yeah. As much as my parents were making fun of it today, I told them, but I actually really, really like this movie. Wow. I cool. did. Very much enjoyed mm-hmm. it. Very entertaining. And it does. Like Melanie said, it makes you think. And I do like movies like that. Wow. That's cool. I didn't realize that you didn't uh, know it existed. No. I'm glad uh, I mentioned it. was during it. one of our trivias or something, and they mentioned, yeah. oh, it was like, I don't know, like, I guess they considered it almost a horror movie. And the, it, one of the questions was, oh, Disney's first horror movie. And I'm like, what the hell are they talking about? I thought it was the Black Cauldron. Oh. And then someone said it was oh, the yeah. Black Hole. And I'm like, what the hell is that? <laughs> I didn't even know what it was. Oh, cool. No idea. Very nice. Very nice. Very nice. So, treat for me. <laughs> He's such a nice little robot. He's harmless. All right, time for the big thank yous, podcast family, to those of you that support the Scarif Scuttlebutt podcast. 
Team Scarif gives you all a heartfelt thank you, wonderful people who have found it in their hearts to support our show. We're super lucky to have you. Folks like Amanda, Jedi Caligula 89, Joey Rosales, What Up Joey, The Salty Crew at the Salty Nerd Podcast, Alex and Matt, super fan of many of the Red 5 Network pods, Nicholas Schaefer, follow him at Backyard Tardis. What's up, Nick? Our Star Wars celebration friend, Chad, at Hyperspace and Holocrons. Jay from Florida, our other Floridians, Frank, at the garrison level. Big thanks. And looking at you, Steve, from Rogue One Radio. Check out that Red 5 pod for movies, music, TV, and more. And certainly not least, our executor level patrons, 97 Bravo and the Conversions Podcast. And Scott and Kim from the Used and Abused Podcast. Big thank you, Red Fivers. Go give them a follow. And our newest garrison-level patron, Melanie Marquita. Big hugs to you, my friend. Huge respect to all our patrons for your support. And if you want to become more involved in the Scarif Scuttlebutt community and feel like becoming a patron, head over to patreon.com slash scuttlebutt. Remember, we can't have the scuttle without the butt. And don't forget, it's always sunny on Scarif with patrons like you. I really, these, this is definitely one of the movies. And let me, let's get to that uh, Twitter question because before, somebody had mentioned. Oh, yeah, be, go ahead. Before we move off to the robots, can we talk about Captain Star? Yes. yes. Okay, so he's this Captain Special Troops Arms Regiment, right? But mm-hmm. the actor who plays him has what I think is the most fun credit he, or, or CV. He's a screenwriter, director, mime. Oh, my God. <laughs> when I looked him up, <laughs> who has that? Very nice. It's a particular cool. set of skills. It is. My, I know some people think of it like very low tier. But man, you try looking like you're stuck in a glass box. <laughs> and being a screenwriter and a director. Yeah. And having a right. mind side hustle. I mean, how many people have that? <laughs> it's so true. What a weird Very kind of, impressive. Very yeah, impressive. impressive, actually. Tom McLaughlin. And I yeah. do want to talk about the music because I actually very yes. much love the music in this movie. Mm-hmm. Sure, let's dive into it. very ominous and... That repetitive sound that you constantly hear, it just really made me feel amped up. John Barry. Absolutely. There is, uh, yeah, John Barry. There is a certain aspect of the the movie that kind of uh, mimics the entire film experience yes. uh, with this. Yes. Um, there seems to obviously, you know, when when the credits roll uh, at the beginning, at the top of the movie, obviously you you see the Disney logo, and I think um, was this the first one. I know the poster showed the Disney logo, but uh, what was what's the other? It's Buena Vista. Yeah, Buena Buena Vista, Vista, right. Buena Vista. So you still see the little Disney building in in that logo. But it's it's funny because, you know, you think of Disney, you don't think of this type of movie. And I think the music is the same way. There's kind of a whimsical um, play of 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 sounds in this. And obviously, when the when you see the droids, you kind of hear that like, you know, uh, that little whimsical play. Mm -hmm. But there is this this ominous, like, like hard steady drum beat mm-hmm. 
and um, almost like a, a, a floating uh, a sense of, of floating in, in space where you get yes. that, you know, like all, all throughout uh, most of the adventure, especially towards the tail end. Mm-hmm. Um, it really kind of, it really kind of, uh, you know, gets you in that, uh, in that mood. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. You don't know what's going to happen, obviously. And we'll, we'll talk about the end in this, you know, towards the end here, but it's, uh, it's really awe-inspiring. Yeah, and I was surprised to see who the composer was. I was like, "Hey, mm-hmm. 007. <laughs> What's yeah. up, John Barry? I thought that was so cool." So, uh, yeah, man, I, I really do like this movie. It definitely puts you mm-hmm. on edge, and I always say, you know, movies are so much more heightened by music. They really one cannot be, you know, be without the other. And Even that undercurrent is a whole other character. Yeah, and that undercurrent in the score that you were talking about—that sort of mm-hmm. pulsing thing it's almost like what the black hole would sound like like if you were right next to it it gives you that feeling of being near it I know at the end when they go into the black hole and they start to do that, uh, you know, the, these weird little shots and stuff, mm-hmm. um, there is that kind of that sense of like a heartbeat, mm-hmm. um, yeah. which is right. really cool. I, and like I said, you know, the, the music is just you watch that movie and you have like this weird, ominous feeling um, that obviously is established with with the music. And I, I love that. It's really, really great. And I like that they kept the overture. Yes. Yes. In the yeah. beginning, that's old yeah. school. But I and like I think that. They, I think I read it was like one of the last movies to do that, along with mm-hmm. another one. I can't remember what the other movie was. Let's talk about uh, the uh, the Darth Vader of droids in this film. <laughs> um, really ominous, talking about uh, Maximilian. Yes. Um, very imposing and menacing. Did you uh, Did you guys like him? Yeah. He felt more mm-hmm. like the villain to me than Doctor Reinhardt. And it totally mm-hmm. reminded me of something out of the original Lost in Space. Yes, I think uh, gave me that vibe. And I think Melanie mentioned the fact that uh, I think it was almost structured in a way that both of the characters were kind of like you know two sides of one coin. I can see that. Mm-hmm. I can. See and that. makes sense. Uh, pro- probably more so than just you know his counterpart. I think you know. You guys said that, you know, he's stuck on his space station for 20 years. Um, there's kind of a transposition of personality between the, mm-hmm. the two because he's, you know, he's his, uh, his right-hand man there. Which makes um, sense considering total how sense. it ends. Yeah, how it mm-hmm. ends. Oh, my God, yes. Um, well, because they had that sort of symbiotic relationship. You get, I mean, you get a feel for that exactly. early on. Oh, yeah. One of our Twitter followers, Ralph Harbison, says, I would love to see this one redone. We're talking about remakes, but I know they will screw it up. (laughs) (laughs) A little cynicism there, but uh, I definitely would love to see a remake of this. Um, Mm -hmm. I would love for them to obviously keep uh, the tone uh, of the film. Um, I'm not a fan of uh, injecting... Well, Shanti, you know, I'm not a fan of injecting humor into sci-fi that much. So joyless. <laughs> so joyless. No, no, I, no, I understand. No, this is a One movie. of the reasons I cannot watch the Orville. <laughs> I, I actually do want to watch it. But this movie, 
doesn't call for it. I mean, I know you have Vincent and Bob and you can probably kind of take them as comic relief, but at the end of the day, especially Vincent, he's still trying to get things done. He's still trying to help his crew and assist. I mean, he gets into a battle with Maximilian trying to save the crew at the very end. So he definitely has a purpose. He's not just there. You know what I mean? As cute as he looks, he's not just background. He's very much a part of this cast. He's very much a part of this crew. So I personally did agree with Ralph. So shout out to Ralph. Thank you. I would like to see this remade, especially now with technology advanced as much Mm -hmm. as it has for filmmaking. And I think I did read that they were in the process of remaking it or wanted to remake it. But then, of course, with Disney acquiring Marvel and Disney, of course, it got, you know, shoved to the back. So, but I... uh, but I also kind of do agree with Ralph. I also worry that they would screw it up somehow. Yeah, I think uh, I read that uh, they were kind of developing something, but then they they just said, screw it. Let's yeah. just buy Star Wars. Right. Yeah. So <laughs> Instead of making our own. Instead of Disney, somebody else, take it, buy the rights yeah. to the book or something. Go ahead and do it. It doesn't have to be mm-hmm. Disney. I would love if somebody else would take it over and develop it. I think that'd be great. Mm-hmm. Um, let's talk about uh, Durant's uh, horrible death that uh, slipped past the <laughs> censors at Disney there. What's up with that? Maximilian! And when I did read, they didn't let people on the set to see it. Oh, wow. It's a closed set. It's definitely the most shocking scene in the movie. Even my dad was like, oh my my God, he's like, this is a Disney movie. (laughs) Just got shredded. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So Perkins' character's. uh, Poor guy. He uh, he's he's holding on to that book, and I think I I also read somewhere that that was a little bit improvised, um, where he kind of held the book up to him as the uh, as the um, as Maximilian's uh, shredding blades dug deep into his chest. Um, yeah, very shocking. All the traumatized hey. kids leaving the theater. Yeah. <laughs> Those aren't kitchen aid mixers, kids. <laughs> I told you to stay off of the blender. I know. <laughs> they don't just you know, rip up eggs. <laughs> and that's what I and that's what I mean really about sticking, you know, true to the tone of, of the original. Um, mm-hmm. I know a lot of studios when they do remakes, they kind of change things up and right. and um, you know, some inject uh, superficial comedy into it just to kind of, you know, keep the audiences laughing. But, uh, you know, I'd rather that they stay the course and uh, stay true to 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 the tone of, of this. And obviously, you know, for a Disney movie, it's it's way different. It's way out there. Um, I honestly and I, commend them. Absolutely. We're going there. Yeah. Let's talk about uh, before we get to the ending, because I know we want to really dive deep into the ending because it uh, it's it's something to really kind of pick apart. But mm-hmm. uh, do you guys have any uh, other uh, thoughts on on this before we get to the ending? Anything else that uh, pops up? You know, despite it being obviously, I guess, looking a little bit maybe low budget in comparison maybe to star wars 
I still, you know me, I've said it before. I'm always impressed. I, I take for, you know, every movie that I watch for what it is, I take into consideration when it was made. And I still personally think for being 1979, I was actually still really impressed. I thought the sets were awesome. I thought it was mm-hmm. actually absolutely beautiful when that meteor is rolling down. I mean, oh, yeah. the black mm-hmm. hole itself. I, I I was really impressed, honestly. You know, I know I say cheesy, but it's it's a good kind of cheesy. Like, even though, yes, you can poke fun at it, at the end of the day, I still really like the movie. There's a lot to discuss. Mm-hmm. I do think it is a very existential movie, very philosophical. So I... Those are my, those are pretty much my final thoughts actually on it before we get to the ending. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, Melanie, what do you think? I agree. And um, the, the visual effects, they, they were nominated for best visual effects. So there you go. Great. You know, I mean, they That's were something. in there with 1941, Alien, Moonraker and Star Trek, the motion picture. Right. That's so, I mean, it, was. It, was, it was Star Trek, the motion mm-hmm. picture that it was the last one to do an overture yeah. in this mm. movie. That's and it was. it was nominated for cinematography. So that just validates what Shanti just said. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, the production design is, uh, was really great. There's some wide shots when they're running, uh, right before the, uh, that meteor is rolling down, mm-hmm. uh, mm-hmm. Raiders of the Lost Ark style. Mm-hmm. Um, there's some wide <laughs> shots with some silhouettes that are really, really nicely designed. Um, by the uh, cinematographer Mm -hmm. and um, yeah, absolutely. I think, um, you know, it's, it's funny because you surprised me when you said that you thought that, that some of the aspects were cheesy. I think there, for me, there were so many other aspects that, that drowned out the cheese. I really don't think of this movie as cheesy. I think of, of this movie, obviously it was done back in the day in 1979. So there's certain aspects of, of the process that right. may not be up to par to now, obviously, but there's so many other elements, the music, the, the actors in it, the heavy hitters that are in here um, that kind of drown out everything else that might be um, at fault for, for this not being, you right. know, as, as big as it should have been or as big as obviously that they wanted it to be. It's really um, acting. Yeah, it's really acting that's the cheesiest for me. And then obviously the robots looking the way. That, and I mean, <laughs> specifically Vincent and Bob, you know, it does look very Disney and it looks very kitty. something that I would Marty see. Croft. Yeah, it's not. Yeah. <laughs> I think my dad's. And I don't mean that in a bad way. I love them. Stuff. Sure, yeah. <laughs> I love that. Too. I take it for what yeah, it is. Yeah. I, mm-hmm. I love it. I don't care. And Ro, you're completely correct. There are so many other things that completely outweigh it that overall, I, I probably still wouldn't say overall that it's cheesy. It's certain little elements and that's about it. But Absolutely. I like, I like the, I think the matte paintings are gorgeous. I think the, the cathedral like Cygnus is really beautiful with all yes. of the stained glass. You know, it looks very cathedral like, which plays into the ending. Great. And um, I I like that super saturated color. Mm-hmm. I enjoyed mm-hmm. that a lot. It was like the old three strip Technicolor. Right, right. To me, I liked that a lot. It adds a lot to it. Absolutely, Melanie. You mentioned uh, a a certain cathedral look, and I know mm-hmm. that ending um, had a different look and feel to it before uh, they settled on uh, the ending that we know. I think they shot. Um, where did they shoot? They shot some stained glass window, very church-like. Once they put that sequence together, they realized that it was a bit too on-the-nose religious. And they 
they trashed that ending sequence uh, in favor of what uh, what we now know um, for this movie. Um, but Blazer uh, Jedi, one of our followers, um, asked the question: Do you consider the ending a twist or a cop out? What do you guys think? No, I don't think it's a cop out. No, no, not at all. And you know what? I don't think it's a cop out or a twist. Um, yeah, I don't even see it as a twist. I, you know, what Melanie said earlier on, I, I definitely think that, you know, the entire movie makes you think, but that last sequence really um, burns your noodle because mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you really, you really have to, you really have to go and 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 think about uh, what it means, and I think it might mean, you know, different things to different people. I've heard some people, you know, equate it to uh, Dante's Inferno. You had the, uh, you know, going through the event horizon and the black hole, you know, going through heaven and hell. Right. Um, but, um, yeah, it's it, it's definitely a, a very interesting uh, ending for, for a movie, especially a Disney movie for that time. I think it ties in beautifully with the, um, what was it that you were saying, the, uh, the byline, a journey that begins where everything ends. And even though I didn't watch this as a kid, but now having watched this now as an adult... When I see a byline like that, I'm the one, I've always been the kind of person that says that life doesn't truly begin until death. So when I read that byline, that's what it almost makes me think of. Ooh. The same thing. Mm-hmm. So you're seeing them. So honestly, I almost wonder, are they even really alive when they come out of the black hole and they've just already been judged and he went straight to hell doing what he did on the ship and having done what he did to all of his crew while the rest of them were trying to obviously, you know, save each other and save the rest of the crew. And they got to go and basically pass on to heaven. And as much as they wanted to change the ending, I still think it looked very religious when they mm-hmm. get to that scene. In sure. fact, it reminds yep. me of the ending of Fantasia after the night on Bald Mountain and they start singing the Ave Maria. So that's what it reminded me when I saw that. So it mm-hmm. still has a very religious tone to it. And um, I, th- I think Melanie said it earlier. You reminded me of um, Dr. Reinhardt's uh, face uh, inside the, the robot there when yes. they, mm-hmm. they zoom into Maximilian and then you realize that it's his, you know, obviously it's his shape, but then you zoom in and you see that he is, is inside Maximilian. Right. Um, really, really uh, powerful stuff there. Yeah, he's become this sort of soulless thing. Did you, uh, when you guys first saw it, I mean, did you, uh, to- did you understand the meaning, Melanie, at eight years old? Uh, well, my sister was eight. I was 12. And I remember uh, we had a discussion on the way home in the car, in the sedan, <laughs> in the station wagon. With wood paneling. <laughs> With It did have wood paneling. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Hell <laughs> yeah. It had wood paneling. It better. Oh, yeah. And, um, and I remember my dad saying, okay, so now what did we think of that? And, um, so I recall my sister being very much in the, in the Shanti frame of mind where it was like, oh, you know, he, you know, he became a devil and they followed the angel. Um, 
the crew followed the angel and they got to go to this better place. Mm -hmm. And to me, I thought, no, he's stuck and they got out. Right. Which I can definitely see that too. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It works on a lot of levels. It does. I think it is done that way to be left open to interpretation. And I think Mm -hmm. everyone's going to look at it and analyze it much differently, which I love because that's what starts a, a dialogue here. Because the whole movie is an existential discussion. Absolutely. Especially because we don't know mm-hmm. really much about black holes. We don't really no. honestly know what's on the other side. So it's fun to And it's estimate. a metaphor for life. It is. Absolutely. Because we don't know. Nope. We don't. That's one of the things that fascinated me um, as a kid uh, growing up and really watching this movie because, you know, I... Again, you know, black holes and science and all that space stuff really fascinates me. Reading about black holes, realizing that, you know, what what happens when you go in it um, and all the, the, the sciencey stuff that I was just really drawn to. Mm-hmm. And then to, to see this, I mean, you know, even like scenes from um, Star Trek Voyage Home when they slingshot across the, the sun and you have that mm-hmm. sequence, it, it almost seems like, you know, okay, Hollywood doesn't really know how to portray like something like that. And they do these long sequences with some voices in the background and, and some funky editing and, you know, colors and things like that. But it, it is fascinating. It does fascinate me, um, especially this movie, because, you know, what what does happen to you when you go into a black hole if you're ever in that situation? You become right. spaghetti. I know. What I read spaghettiism. Sure. That's what they call it. <laughs> you get stretched. Sounds painful. Mm-hmm. But uh, I love that uh, this movie, Melanie. You said uh, it's an existential discussion. Mm-hmm. In a sedan with wood paneling on it. It's true. It's, this should I mean, be it's shown in a philosophy class, honestly. Yeah, I can see that. For sure, yeah. I took a philosophy ca- uh, philosophy class and they had us watch The Matrix, which I understood. But now having watched this movie, this would be a great movie to play in a class mm-hmm. like that. Yeah. It's got all the bells and whistles. So I mentioned that last week we talked about Tron, uh, the uh, classic Tron, but uh, earlier this decade we had Tron Legacy, and uh, it seems like director Joseph Kaczynski was developing a black hole remake, um, which is evident in some of the uh, shots towards the beginning of Tron Legacy where we see the black hole poster. Mm-hmm. And uh, Vincent on the uh, a, a toy, an action figure of Vincent in um in the bedroom there shelf at the beginning of that movie um which is kind of cool uh but yeah we mentioned that uh that script was being developed and uh was kind of nixed after disney decided to purchase lucasfilm and star wars so uh i'm really hoping that somebody um makes another pitch for a new black hole because it's uh it's something that i would really like to see um again for the first time would be really cool. Start yeah. a petition. Yeah. Yeah. Let's do a hashtag. Heck yeah. Yeah. Our friend, uh, our fellow Red Fiver, Jeff from Blue Milk uh, Cafe, says that Black Hole, he loves the Black Hole, and it's such an underrated and underappreciated film. I think I tend to agree with him. Obviously, 
knowing Shanti that you did not even know it existed. Shame on you. Sorry. But uh, I'm glad that you saw it. I definitely uh, had seen a lot of love for the black hole when I posted that we were doing this episode. So that's kind of yeah. uh, kind of cool. Hitting it big here on the Disney side, uh, really loving our conversation and uh, absolutely. Any final thoughts uh, on the black hole? Um, if you were to uh, cast the black hole today, who would you pick as uh, Dr. Reinhardt? Let's go one by one just to make it easier. I would go with Sir Anthony Hopkins. I could see that. Mm-hmm. Maybe like a Christoph Waltz. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Even Gary Oldman, I think. Yeah. I, yeah, he was kind of my first thought. Melanie, any thoughts? Oh, gosh. Daniel Day-Lewis plays crazy very well, too. Yeah, I was, he was who I thought of if he wasn't retired. Oh, wow. Yeah. Because that's who I thought of. Then I thought, now i got to think of somebody else. He retired. Oh, well, this is this is kind of a... Uh, this is the thing to bring him back. Yes. Yeah, bring him back. Bring him yeah. back. Bring him back. Oh, it was good if he'd do it. I think Jeremy Irons could do it. Oh, that's a good one too. Javier Bardem. You know what? I can actually see that. Mm-hmm. Yep. Give him a crazy uh, Spanish. That's a good one, Ro. Yeah. Doctor. That's a really good one. Mm-hmm. Mad scientist, doctor. Mm-hmm. Uh, beard. Yeah. With some crazy yeah. hair. Man, I can picture. Plus, he has yeah. that sort of ominous stillness too. Yes, yeah. solid. Can yeah, especially after seeing No Country for Old Men. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Good one. Uh, yeah. Yeah. What about? Uh, let's see. Pick another actor, another character. How about um, Durant? Trying to get away from British actors. Yeah, it's hard because <laughs> we're just we're just full up with British actors. I know. Hmm. And I hate it because we already have a model. So now I'm trying to think like. Who could emulate? Who looks like Anthony Perkins? And I shouldn't. I really shouldn't do that. I'm like, who's tall and thin? Um, oh man, I could tell you one thing for the woman. I don't know why Charlize Theron was the first person to pop up in my head. I don't know why. I think it's just because I love her. Mm-hmm. Um, man, we should have asked this ahead of time. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, who would? Let's see, who would we know right away? <laughs> Or would you want somebody that you would know that would be the would be the the one to buy into it right away? Actually, no. That would be great because yeah. it'll keep you guessing. And obviously, mm-hmm. people that have seen the movie, um, or maybe you know, obviously they want they would want to change things up a little bit. So mm-hmm. maybe this character is not the, the same Durant that we know from the original right, Black right, Hole. Right. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I... Well, for that matter, why couldn't Reinhardt be a woman? Right. Well, that's true, too. Yeah. Can have Angelica Houston play it. Oh, man. Oh. Yes. She could do it. Yeah. Yep. That's a good pick, too. I love Angelica Houston. Man. Cool, cool, We could have cool. a lot of fun with this. We should pose this mm-hmm. on Twitter. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We will. We're your I'll, cast I'll picks. Do it. Do it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then we'll get that petition going. I'll make a t-shirt and a hashtag. Yeah. Yeah. All right, guys. Final thoughts on the black hole. Disney 1979. Mm. Unapologetically love it. I do. 
I do. I do too. I was very excited to rewatch it again today. I really, really mm-hmm. was. And I have to thank Ro because uh, I, even though it, I had first heard of it on the trivia game, I feel like Ro is actually the one that kind of pushed for me to watch it. So thank you very much because I really, really enjoy. And shout out to our lovely Amanda of Galaxy of Queers because she is the one that had actually set up the watch party for me to watch it. And I just had, you know, I was expecting to do a very mystery science theater kind of thing. I was expecting to poke fun of it the entire time. I really, really did. And I was truly amazed by how silent I ended up being throughout the entire watch party because that is how much I really ended up liking it. And you can confirm with her and Kelly and Nicole, I kept saying, I was like, wow, you know what? I'm really enjoying this movie more than I thought I was going to. It's one of the few movies that my sister and I, because we have this sort of, you know, because we we did see so many movies together and we do Mm -hmm. see so many, we still do see so many movies together. Mm -hmm. And we tend to MST3K a lot of stuff. Sure. But this is one we don't. Wow. Wow. That's cool. I love it. I would definitely see myself watching this again. Mm -hmm. For sure. I'm going to watch it now when we're done. I know. I almost feel like watching it again. I watched it again today. I I know. might watch it tomorrow. <laughs> but so absolutely, if you have not seen The Black Hole and you're listening to us now towards the end, what's wrong with you people? <laughs> Please right. do. It's on See Disney+. It. Plus. Go it's on watch Disney+. It. Plus. Go watch it. Really, really a, a great movie. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm, glad, uh, I'm glad we decided to do this discussion on The Black Hole. It was a lot of fun. Um, yeah. Melanie, mm-hmm. thank you. Thank you, Melanie. So thank you. much. For I'm so on glad on I got to us. do this one. Me too. And I was very excited to do this episode. <laughs> Extremely excited. Let's uh, go around the table and see where people can find you on the interwebs. Melanie? Oh, you can find me on the Twitter. I'm, I'm following around the uh, Red 5 fam. Very nice. And, and where you all are. Yeah. <laughs> where the cool kids hang out. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> And General Shinobi. Uh, like Melanie, even though I do have an Instagram, you can mainly find me on Twitter, as always, causing a ruckus, at SelenaKyle29, and that is both for Twitter and Instagram. Absolutely. Thank you so much. If you are just finding us and just enjoyed our discussion on the black hole, thank you so much. We are available wherever else you get your other favorite podcasts. We are part of the red five network. If you want to contribute to the discussion, leave us a voicemail. If you dare at seven, seven, three, two, three, four, eight, six, five, nine. That is the scare scuttlebutt hotline. Thank you so much, everybody, for joining us. I'm Ro, that's Melanie and Shanti, and that is the Scuttlebutt. Woohoo! Hey, thank you so much for listening to the Scare of Scuttlebutt podcast. Just wanted to remind you all, we can be found wherever you find your other favorite shows. iTunes, Pandora, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Podbean, SoundCloud, Podchaser, Backtracks FM, Podtail, Owltail, Google Podcast, and of course, our own Red5Network.com to name a few. And don't forget to drop us a voicemail at 773-234-8659, our Scuttlebutt hotline. We want to hear what's on your mind. Your call is very important to us.
us. Let us know what you think of the show, what future topics we should tackle, or just to say hello there. Please hold.